I'm Elaine Shannon. I'm Dana Lloyd. Welcome to Soul Sister Conversations, the podcast where we inspire and empower you to connect more soulfully to yourself. In this episode of Soul Sister Conversations, we speak with Mark Black about his incredible story of thriving as a heart and lung transplant recipient. We talk about how he surpassed his doctor's expectations, how faith and spirituality played a role in facing his adversity, and he shares his philosophy on life. Good afternoon, Elaine. Good afternoon, Dana, and we're back in Moncton. Moncton, New Brunswick. We're here with another amazing podcast guest. We have Mark Black, who is a heart-lung transplant recipient at the age of 24. He's a marathon runner, which happened shortly after he had his transplant. Um, He's a speaker, a coach, and a podcaster. Um, He helps people with work and health and relationships to get to the next level. He's a TEDx speaker, and uh, we're pretty excited to have Mark with us today. Thank Um, you for joining us in the conversation. Happy to be here. Welcome to Soul Sisters. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah, we have Soul Brothers on. Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's not just, I mean, it's interesting because if you look at some of our, um, I was on Apple the other day and somebody said this, it just, you know, it's not just for men or women. It's for everybody, and it's this beautiful blend of business and leadership and spirituality. Mm. And so that's kind of where we're, you know, we're throwing it all in a dish and seeing what uh, what kind of great um, inspiration comes. Mm. So it's great to have you. Here. Awesome. Oh, good to be here. Yeah. So where did your story begin? Begin in a time. No. <laughs> uh, so the, the shortened, condensed yeah. version is I was born with a congenital heart disease. I had open heart surgery at hours old. In, uh, I was born here in Moncton, but flown to Halifax for surgery, and then was kind of maintained on a mm-hmm. from a health perspective for about 13, 14 years before things started to but decline. Your health, health was generally good as a yeah, child. Yeah, generally, generally speaking, was pretty good. I mean, I was on medications and things, right. but otherwise was. You had a normal, normal childhood as far as you could get out and yeah, do things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, two phys ed teacher parents, so you don't have a choice, right? Oh, okay, right. Oh, like, oh, here we go. We're yeah. outside again. Slow down, the, slow down the band and kick you out the door and yeah, wow, go. Wow, two phys ed parents. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then it, it was a very slow, gradual decline over about a 10-year period that culminated in, yeah, at 23 when they, I was I had symptoms for about four months, but I was... 23-year-old man, so I was stubborn and ignored symptoms of my health for a long time, and uh, we went to see my family doctor, and he took one look at me and sent me to emerge, and I was admitted for a month, and that's when they basically said, we've done everything we can do for you um, medically and medicinally, and the only option now is surgery, and you needed a heart and two new lungs, and you need them like yesterday. Yesterday, mm-hmm. and you were away at university, weren't you? And I was. You, so when I read your story, and you came home, and your mother hadn't seen you yeah. for a bit. Moms, no, right? Mom took one look at me, and that's she made the appointment to the doctor. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and and you know I had lost thirty pounds, and I mean I'm 120 pounds, so that's a lot of weight for somebody my size. And uh, but again, I was just uh, probably subconsciously on purpose mm-hmm. oblivious yeah because you were you had your head down and you were working on your which what degree were you working on at the time uh education i was going to be oh. teacher like mom and dad right. yeah phys ed teacher 
Maybe. I wasn't sure yet. I was still figuring that out. Yeah. yeah. But you had finished your undergrad and you were in your Bachelor of Education. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'd gone to Mount A and did four years there and then went to UNB. And if you've... Those who aren't familiar, UNB campus is built on this big hill. Yeah. <laughs> the biggest hill in New Brunswick. Right? Yeah. And then the education building conveniently is at, is the, at top. the very yeah. top. Right? Yeah. Oh and so gosh. that was sort of the barometer of my health is how many breaks I had to take on the way up. Oh. And, and how many breaks were you taking at the... By the end, it was two mom? or three. Yeah. Wow. Just to get up that hill, Mark. Just to get up the hill. Yeah. And were you starting to be concerned or were you in denial? I was in denial. You I mean, I was concerned, concerned, but I was not... You just had, I didn't want to face it, right? So right. I just and thought, oh, it'll get better. And, and here's, yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're both, Dane and I are both parents, and we're like leaning in here. What were your friends saying? It's funny, my, I, didn't, I don't know if they were shy to ask or, because nobody really brought it up. So, mm. um, yeah, I mean, near the end, um, a friend of mine who was often driving me to class. Yes. Mostly because he was just lazy and liked driving to class, <laughs> yeah. and so I was a good excuse to do that. Yeah. Um, but he was kind of starting to get concerned, how come I can't, you know? Yeah. yeah. But you yeah. were doing a good job of hiding it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. But good yeah. thing that you got home when you did, and the doctors, mm. they got, yeah. So so a, a heart-lung transplant, and did that happen in Halifax? No, so they do hearts in Halifax, but they only do lungs in three or four medical centers in the country. Mm. Um, and the lungs are very fragile organs. So, I mean, they all are fragile, obviously, but lungs more so. So their survival time then, they've improved it since, it was about six hours, the window. So oh, holy. you can't wow. live in Moncton and get a transplant in Toronto right. because the, the timing is just too tight. So we were told, once I was accepted on the list, we were told that you, you're going to have to move here. So wow. dad and I packed our things. We left mom and my three younger brothers here in Moncton and we moved to Toronto. That's quite a thing, not just for you, but it's it's your entire family, family. that is, yes. that is that living counts. this this yes. journey and you yeah. made it sound like what I know and I've, I've listened to your TED talk that you're almost camped outside were you literally camped outside the hospital or you were just in the you had to remain in the Toronto area remain within a two-hour radius at all times yeah. was yeah. their suggestion so we were really really fortunate that my dad's aunt lived in uh, Scarborough which mm, is about yeah. 25 minutes outside it well 25 minutes or three hours, depending on the time of day. <laughs> exactly. Uh, outside Toronto of Toronto. Traffic, yeah. and, uh, and he had a cousin up north as well, and both of them said, look, if we can, like, we'll open our homes. And so we ended up moving with his cousin who had was divorced, so it was a house of three men at the time anyway, so two more men fit right, right in. <laughs> it was like a dorm. It was a frat house. For, a frat house. Yeah. 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 Um, which made, obviously, I mean, as hard as it was, it made that made the waiting so much easier because... Right. We had, well, financially, it was way easier, obviously, right, and yeah. we didn't have you know rent at a thousand bucks a month to worry about. Um, and we had you know some family support as well. People, so people that really cared about you, yeah, yeah. and your mental health too. Oh, right. while Absolutely. you're while you're waiting, because that would be a terrible wait. How did you endure that? What What were your thoughts or? So it was really funny. I was very naive. So when we, uh, when you get listed for transplant, you go and do an evaluation, an assessment, they call it, which is about a week long process. And then you go home and you wait for them to tell you if they're going to put you on the list or not, like whether they're mm. accepting you. And part of the criteria is you have to submit to um, week, weekly support group meetings and check-ins for okay. clinic and all of these protocols. And you have to have a support person with you at all times. And I kind of scoffed at that. I was you know, a 24-year-old man. I don't need some, I don't need my dad with me. I don't need my parents with me. And they said, well, you're not on the list unless somebody's with you. And, and they knew, right? I mean, that, they were far wiser than I was that you mm. mentally, emotionally need that support. Yeah. 
Um, so there were lots of times when it was okay, and other times when there, there's no way I would have made it without without yeah. him there. Because what are your thoughts? Are you you're 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 afraid at this time? You're yeah, I mean, you're facing immortality, yes. right? I mean, the, the, I think you call it under the threat of death. I mean, we're all essentially living under that. We are. But you, it's a little more imminent. You actually yeah. had a time. Your your clock was ticking, and you could see it in front of you. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, they they everything is an estimate, right? Because they don't know the donor could be found tomorrow. But right, um, based on uh, my size, made it more difficult because I'm a small guy. So um, the typical the typical organ donor is a 25 year old guy that doesn't put his helmet on when he rides his motorcycle. That's right. statistically what it is. Right. Uh, and a six foot two guy's lungs are not fitting in a four foot nine guy's body, right? So that was the biggest issue. They said you need three organs and your size makes it incredibly difficult to find a match. So you're looking at probably a two year wait if we had to give a number to it. And again, you don't know, but mm. they were predicting that I had, you know, nine to 12 months to, to live. So yeah, you just, you put your head down and do what you can do because that's all you can do. Yeah. But it was mm-hmm. the prognosis was not good. Right. Yeah. I, I think that would be incredibly difficult to to endure. What have you learned as a result of living under that kind of pressure? I mean, you know, I'm you know, if for anybody listening who's facing any sort of challenge, and you've faced the ultimate one. Like, how do you mentally move through something like that? Is it just keeping yourself busy? Is it, you know, obviously support? Yeah, it's all of those. It's it's both of those things I think are helpful. I think, you know, sitting and stewing for too long is bad, but also mm-hmm. trying to avoid it by being busy is not necessarily good either. So some middle ground of processing and then being busy. Um, and I should say that it's 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 ongoing. I mean, I'm I'm very fortunate. My health is great. Knock on whatever. Knock on everything here. Um, and and no reason to believe that it won't yeah. continue for a while. But the survival rate of a lung heart lung transplant is fifty percent at five years. And you have and I'm at far going to be at seventeen that. in September. Right? Amazing, amazing. Which is it's a blessing. It's wonderful. But we know that it can turn on a dime. And so, you know, my I'm forty one. The chances that I see fifty are very small. And I say that not out of any sense of self-pity I've more than come to terms with it and my life is pretty fantastic so I'm not complaining but so all to say that that the imminence of the end of your life is still very much there yeah um, which is why you're you are living your life wide large deep trying to yeah and spreading that message yeah because yeah as you said it can, I mean it's funny when my wife and I got first got together I said I thought to myself how long do you go into a relationship before you bring up this big right, elephant right. in the room right yeah, absolutely because it's not fair to not tell her um, and so I think it was about four or five weeks in and I said, like, here's the deal. And, and her response within minutes was, yeah, I could get hit by a truck too. So what's the, you know, yeah, oh, exactly. she's a keeper. She's a keeper, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, um, that's kind of how we approach things. It's yes. not, not a live every day like it's your last because that's impractical. Right. Um, but certainly don't necessarily count on 10 years from now. Like it's a guarantee. Right. So you were just recently in Idaho. Yeah. I follow, I follow you on Facebook, so I know it's like, oh, there's Mark. He's on a plane again. And you're doing that a lot, aren't you? Like, you're getting out and spreading the message, not just locally, but I, I would guess internationally. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, North America. I haven't gone overseas yet, but if anybody's listening and wants to bring me, <laughs> yeah. feel, I'll go to Paris very inexpensively if you'd <laughs> yeah. like me to come. Um, yeah, I've been, I mean, I've been speaking professionally now for 15 years, but it's started to, to really take off in the last few where it's getting, you know, bigger. And you in particular speak to youth. 
So it's interesting. I actually have like two totally separate businesses almost where I do youth speaking for some. uh, And I was in Idaho for a youth event. Yes. Um, And then the other half of my band, it is, it's now more than half actually, is with mostly professional associations. Okay. Um, so specifically professional associations. A lot of it is. Yes. So, you know, your annual conference and you're going to have the keynote speaker for the Canadian Nurses Association, for example. Well, that's that's something I do. Um, while I was in Idaho, there was a local tech company that wanted me to do a, a staff development morning. So I went in and did that. So it's a little bit all over the map, but the focus, so the, the audiences are all over the map. The focus is all the same, which is about resilience and, and being really intentional with our life. And when you're giving the same message, and you're, you're sometimes giving it to, to leaders and organizations and sometimes to youth, is there any different reaction? I mean, obviously, there are vast age differences, how people respond to that message. Because I wish we could we could all get that message of what you when preach. We're, right, when we're right? young. You know, so do oh. the youth get it? Or, they, you know, everybody thinks they're invincible. And I think the, the older generation would certainly understand and empathize what you're going through as we all feel the clock ticking. Yeah, I think, you know, different age groups resonate with different pieces of the message more than others. Um, the young people, the younger you get them, the less resistant they are to just messages in general because they haven't formed biases. And right. what do you mean by younger? Like what age are you looking well, at? Well, I don't, I typically don't go below about eighth grade which is like 13 14 and that's just personal choice i just tend to relate better with the older kids um but if you can get them even then for the most part they're still unjaded Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're they're way more sophisticated than i was at that age or than any of us were probably because of the world they live in and how connected they are but not not jaded not you know um but there are they they're probably not as open to hearing messages or sort of that story, maybe it's not in their perspective, like that sort of um, life-changing experience? Um, you know, it's interesting. Actually, I actually think the opposite. I think it's, if you, I mean, if we think back to your teenage years, that's the music you tend to connect with, <laughs> yes. right? right? That's the, I joke with some of the kids, I say, the reason your parents still have the hairstyle they do and the clothes that they do is because that's what was cool when they were your age. And some of us are like that. Um, but we're at that very, just the confluence of life experience and hormones and everything else. It's a really potentially powerful time in their life. And I mean, I still remember speakers that came to talk to my high school and I'm 41 because it's just that time in your life. Yes. Yeah. So I, I consider it a great privilege to be able to reach kids at that point to because be right an influence and a positive influence in their journey not that yeah not I mean obviously you know you speak to a thousand kids in a high school gym you're not I'm not connecting with all of them no. but if you can connect with 10% it was a good day yeah, yeah absolutely and you often receive messages afterwards from youth don't you because I know I've seen them and uh, yeah they're amazing they're I mean, yeah they're not i mean so some of them are just really kind comments which yeah. is nice but then there are also the ones that i typically don't share because they're so personal that are gut-wrenching yeah about the things that that kids are going through at 15 16 17 that they shouldn't be you know yeah. uh, it, it's an intense time in our in our planet right in our evolution that there's so much that these kids have to deal with 
I mean, my son and I watched the the uh, on um, Netflix Thirteen Reasons, and we watched it together. Mm. And he, and I mean, I'm sitting there as a parent, going, "What?" And my son is saying, "Mom, this is what we're dealing with in school." I mean, we dealt with bullies. You know, I mm. you know I'm 54. I mean, but we we didn't grow up with the pressures and the bullies that they're dealing with now. The bullies that are going through a Google document to get to them because the they block them on Facebook. That's the thing, right? Is is our bullies we could hide from pretty easily by yeah. by being going in home. the classroom or going home, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. And and you know these kids can the bully can get to their get to their brain constantly. So the fact that you're you're out there, you know, and and you've lived this experience and you're speaking to the youth, I I, I love that. Like it's encouraging, you know, that people are accepting you and saying, mm. you know what, we want you in front of our kids. Yeah, I mean teachers are teachers are very astute about those things, and they know that it's there's nothing there's no magic to what I do it's it's that it's the magic of another adult that isn't an authority figure mm-hmm. isn't their parent isn't yeah. their parent yeah. isn't their teacher right we I mean we all know like how many times do your kids come home and and they say this great thing that they learned from somebody the other day and you think I've been telling you that every day <laughs> your whole life <laughs> and now all of a sudden you've had this epiphany well it's right that's the, the epiphany thing, was Mark Black the, the resistance <laughs> isn't there because I'm not mom and dad yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you're a very likable, approachable person, and I think that helps. Well, I try. Yeah, thank mm-hmm. you. <laughs> oh no, you're more than trying. You're doing it. Yeah. Um, so you had an interesting interview recently, Nelson Mandela's son, and that was when you sort of strayed from your solo podcast format. Yeah. So tell us about that interview. Pretty incredible. Um, so his grandson actually, I, it, he is like. 20 years old or something. His grandson, okay. His grandson, yeah. So his grandson was coming to Moncton, of all places, <laughs> to, to speak. Um, and uh, I was given the opportunity to sit down and interview him. And I, I, I even thought to myself, I don't even know how this connects to my podcast, but I'm not going to say no to this. <laughs> yes. And we'll figure out how the connection fits later. Um, and he's um, brilliant, first of all. He's doing like his post doctoral studies and international relations and conflict negotiation and like some of the stuff he was talking about is so far over my head that um but just his his presence and his demeanor I could I could feel that his grandfather's legacy oozing out of him Mm. which was pretty pretty amazing I had my wife and I were fortunate to go to South Africa in 2013 um and I mean you learn about people in history books Mm -hmm. right and then you go and kind of walk the ground they've walked on and talk to the people who are living in their community and and he's 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 every I mean this was when we were there it was months before he passed away um Nelson Mandela and he was everywhere like mm-hmm. his like presence his was, presence I mean, yeah. literally massive statues there's he's his face is on all the currency like it's things that you don't see from somebody who's still alive right, right? very often um and just the immense respect that everybody spoke about him you know we certainly don't speak about our politicians the way they speak about him mm-hmm. um, and how did how did speaking having that conversation with his grandson impact you like what did you walk away with from that conversation um what more can I be doing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. It, you know, it's and here's you who, I mean, you were doing a tremendous amount of things for humanity, and you were asking yourself, what more can well, I be cause doing? Well, because you see this kid, he's a kid. He's not, I don't know if he's 20, and he's talking to the highest levels of leadership about, you know, and advocating for people that can't advocate for themselves, and it's just, it's incredible. And, and that's the other beauty of, of the work that I do is you get to travel around and see all kinds of people doing right. things in their own domains in their own ways that 
are probably not in the news that people probably most mm -hmm. people don't know about that are changing the world in their own little way and it's mm -hmm. it's, it's it's inspiring because we again I think generationally this has probably gone on for centuries the yeah. the kids these days right <laughs> yeah. did they I think they talked about my generation the kids these days kids these yeah. days right they and so now listen. it's these millennials these millennials but like, the millennials well, they have a lot to offer sure do yeah. if we yeah. listen sure do and the things we typically don't love about them are all our fault is the other part that we don't want to necessarily <laughs> yeah, acknowledge exactly. right like we made them this yeah, way yeah yeah how do you think they got that way yeah so yeah. um but to meet you know go to leadership conferences and meet these kids that are doing there's so much more things. socially aware than we were there's so much more that's true they live that in a is different so world, true right? yeah even, yeah. Though, well, even though they're not watching they're not watching the tv and they're not watching television news and they know more than us from watching that's because it's all online they it's don't all, you know right they're consuming it's archaic the tv and they're, so them. they're not getting whatever the fake news is or whatever the news that the news programs want them to see they are seeing what's really happening and they're doing it at a very personal level right because you follow the yeah. youtuber or the whoever right. and you're you're getting a very unfiltered unedited version of reality not yeah. the production that we're used to seeing on, right. on tv mm. everything's filtered all yeah yeah. yeah, that must have been an amazing conversation. If anything, uh, with podcasting, that's one of the things you get to do is have these interesting conversations. Absolutely, yeah. I know that I, I, you were talking about some of your guests, and it is. It's fascinating, and it's neat to... It gives you access to people that typically probably aren't going to sit down for coffee with you, which is really neat, right? Like it's, it's but we get to record you, which is even better <laughs> than having better, coffee. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm curious that through this whole process of, of dealing with your transplants and, and living that life, how, how big a role has faith played? Oh, huge. Um, Were you always faithful, like as a family? Yeah, we just yeah. I was I was raised that way, um, and you know I think like most people, the journey kind of goes up and down, and there are times when I'm you know yeah. less connected than others, but certainly through. I mean, I think it's human nature when things go wrong, and that's when we reach for it the most, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, like, okay, uh, we're crossing our fingers. Yeah, and remember, remember me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's true. It, so it was a, that journey was a was a very spiritual journey, and mm. and the journey of learning to let go of some things, right. which is not a message that we typically hear about in our culture these days. Seems but, to be the theme today. <laughs> is it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, you talk about how do you cope with being in the hospital and 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 that circumstance and. There's no other way but to say I can control only what I can control. Right. And I have to learn to let go of the rest of it. And it's, it is learning. It's a hard thing to right. do. But it's the only way to stay sane. Because yeah. if you were faithful when you were a child or with your family and then you go through this, how did, did it change your faith? Did it deepen your spirituality? Or how, what were the yeah, shifts I, that Yeah, you I felt think it like did. I think it deepened. I mean, you just, you're, you're forced to confront a lot of questions obviously I mean from why am I here and what does this right. mean and why is this happening to me and all of those kinds of things um, you know then not, not that anybody taught us I would don't think I would ever say that I was taught things that weren't true but you're taught child like versions of truth right and so this you mean like, with respect to faith yeah, yeah in terms of like you know like like a religion in like a religion. god being like santa yeah you know, that like kind god, of stuff like god grants yeah. wishes yeah. and god yeah. always takes care of us and right okay but then what <laughs> happens when things go wrong thing. like, right. Well, yeah, exactly. what I, right and so you have to kind of rectify that in your brain and and you have to dig deeper to i i just did a lot of personal digging into philosophy and theology and trying to make sense of so you went into books like theory like reading books yeah absolutely like which, which like um, do you read the bible is that i do that read one the bible yeah yeah um 
not as much as I should probably, but I do. Um, Man's Search for Meaning is still okay. maybe one of my Victor favorite Frankel. books of all time. Yeah. Search for Meaning. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so those are not familiar. Victor Frankl, um, who lived in the Nazi concentration camp and, and happened to have a background in psychiatry and psychology, right. mm-hmm. which is a, a valuable com- combination Very. for the rest of us. Yeah. Um, just so much insight in there in terms of like why bad things happen to good people, which is another book that I've read, which is really right. good. Um, that so whole notion that we have. So how do you frame that up for yourself? Like when you think about, you know, we look at it, we think, oh yeah, that's an unfortunate, you know, lottery that, that happened to you. How do you frame up? Well, I think you hit it. So I, I have chosen to believe for better or worse. And that's, you know, that's part of the realization you come to through this journey as well is that our beliefs are chosen. Right, mm-hmm. and if they're not working for you, then maybe you need to change what you're believing. Yeah. So there you go. Right? Amen. Um, so you know, I had this this belief that if I did all the right things and I checked all the right boxes, that things were all going to go the way they were supposed right. to go because that's the way you wanted them to go. Right, right. Because My that's what you were led to believe. Right. right. Yeah. Um, well, even yeah, even I, I don't know if that was directly taught, but just I think the if you're osmosis. Good, if you're a good boy, then yeah, yeah, yeah a good be, girl. Yeah. Um, and so. And there, so therefore, if things are not going right, then some, I did something wrong. I just right. can't figure out what it is, but right. I must have done something, right? And, and I've just come to believe that. And then how do you rectify, okay, well, this omnipotent, so this all-controlling <laughs> God controls everything, but he, so that means he must have given me this illness, right? right? And you hear people say, well, if, if you've got this, then it's for a reason, and there's some bigger plan. And Personally, I don't buy that. I, just, I don't buy a God that inflicts kids with cancer it doesn't make any sense right. to me mm-hmm. so for me the the way to wrap my head around it was that we live in an imperfect world and bad things happen mm-hmm. and they happen to good people and they happen to bad people and they just happen they just happen because mm-hmm. that's life and good things happen to good people and bad people and that's life um and then the question is how do we respond wow. how do we respond mm-hmm. right yeah. how are we how is our behavior what are our actions and I, I'm thinking mm. when you, that's a, a good segue into what I was curious about because you said that, you know, you had a five-year survival rate and you clearly have outperformed that. Mm. I mean, it, astonishing, really. I mean, you ran one marathon and ran three more. Like yes. shortly three. after your transplant, yeah. correct? Two and a half years was the first one. So I ran a half marathon on my 27th birthday and then ran a few marathons after that. Yeah. yeah. So, so but the first person to do it was somebody else's heart and lungs. Is that right? Yeah. So so I'm thinking about this. What do you think has contributed to you outperforming what statistics have shown? Yeah, I think it's a combination of factors. Um, I think family and support has been math well, it has been. It's been absolutely I I could not have handpicked two people to be my parents better and that's you know sounds sentimental but it's just true they were i think uniquely equipped to deal with what they had to deal because i think about like i was born when they were 24 they'd been married for 10 months we had our first child when i was 30 and i didn't feel prepared like so i can't even imagine <laughs> how mm-hmm. what well, they were the like. same age you were when you had your transplant and then they were thrown yeah. into like okay your kid's born and but you got to stay yeah. here and we're going to medevac him to tell it like the whole um, and they've just handled it with such grace and, and, and together they did it and together and, mm. and together apart for a long, like for a right. year, they were apart most of the time. And your mom was raising your brothers and your dad was with you. And then they switched places for a while. And like, it, 
so to navigate all of that and to right. advocate for me so well as they did for my entire life and right. ask the right questions. So that was huge. And then it, because of them and the values they instilled and the mindset that they instilled, I think the bigger, the other big part was they always taught us about personal responsibility that, that no, we don't control everything, but we do control some things and you better do, you better do what you can do and not be the victim, not be waiting for right. somebody else to fix your life, you know? Right. Um, so taking care of your health and things like that, being very engaged in your own journey, health journey. Yeah, no, absolutely. I yeah. mean, my, my aunts and uncles now tell me years later that they can remember me being like toddler age and and being kind of taken aback at how freewheeling my parents were with me, right? Like, not, not that like I was... they didn't bubble wrap you not like that I was running, us do. No, not that I was <laughs> yeah. running down the street naked or anything, right? But like... Yeah, that I could kind of go around and play outside and do whatever. They that were they they were just it was just a normal day. Life, yeah. right. yes. yeah. But but they knew that that was also equipping me with skills that were going to be useful in life, right? right? And and that's whether they knew it or not. That's what they. That's how they raised their children. Yeah, yeah. They had good intuition. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, I'm sure they would say they had good role models as well. But So then there's a line, right? So yeah. Then there's, yeah. Yeah. And, and again, that was something that for a long time I took for granted because, again, I think we live in a, we, we live in a culture that likes to believe that you just pull yourself by, up by your bootstraps and you do, you know, you take it into your own hands. And there's an element to that. But there's mm-hmm. also an element that I'm a white male that was born in Canada. Like, you couldn't really ask for a right. better context to survive right. what I've been through than that. Right. In other I, countries, you would be... In other countries, they would have said, we know what to do, we've read about it, but we can't do anything yeah, about yeah. it, we can't help you, right? In many other countries. Or with parents who didn't have the education or the fortitude or, or et cetera. To be your to, advocate, because you advocate. mentioned that, right. because you really, it doesn't matter what it is, you need to be your child's advocate. My, the doctors in Halifax were not, were so pessimistic at the odds of me being accepted on the list that if we had not pushed the issue, I'm not sure I even would have been... Really? The file would have even been sent. So you have to push it in order to... Not everybody does, but in my context, they just felt like... Because, you know, the, sadly, there are not enough donors for everybody that needs one. There are 4,500 4, Canadians waiting for transplant as we speak. So teams of physicians, social workers, psychologists, like there's a team of people that sit around a table at these transplant centers and they go through the caseload once a... whatever, once a month, once a quarter, or however often they do it. And they say, okay, here are the cases of people that are looking to be transplanted. And they go, yes, no, yes, no, based on a variety of factors. Because they, they're going to allocate these very valuable right. resources to somebody. And you don't want to give the heart to the guy that's going to, you know, eat at McDonald's every day and be dead in three years. If you can give it to the guy who's going to take care of it and make it last for 25. Right. And so as I, I thank God every day I'm not in that position to make those decisions. Because right. I can't imagine. Um, I met the, I met the head of the surgical team a few years ago, years after the transplant, and he said, "I remember the I remember your case." And he said, "You were a coin toss." Really? Yeah. Wow. You were a you're, coin toss. Because yeah. the stats were against, against they you. They totally against mm. you. Yeah. Which which then I mean for me the bigger conversation is organ donation. Mm-hmm. I mean it's and and we've done a bit of work around that together yes, with another project I had and. After I worked with you on that, I went home and I messaged all my family and I said, okay, sign your cards right now, please, because there are not enough organ donors, right? You said there's 40, mm. how many, 4,800 people waiting, and there are people who who could have donated. There are instances where they could have been an organ donor. Yeah, I mean, so there are times when 
family has not talked about it, and so this horrible tragedy happens because that's the context for the 99% context totally, of the time. Yeah. And they don't know what to do. And so in their grief and in a very quick decision fashion, they err on the side of caution and say no because they're not sure what to do. And so that's why we talk to families about having a conversation. It's obviously mm-hmm. an awkward conversation, but we... You know, we plan our funerals, we do these other things when yes, we face our mortality. Right. This should be just part of that process. Um, it's good to sign a card. It's good to have, and I mean, every province and state has a different method of doing it. So in New Brunswick, it's on our Medicare renewal form. Uh, but we, we have to check it off. But we have to but check the little box. There is a physical, on, like, you Nova need to make Scotia, a decision. Or is that Nova Scotia? Nova Scotia is working on presumed consent. Otherwise. What do yes. you think about So you know more about that, Mark? What's so presumed called? consent is essentially you are presumed a donor unless otherwise indicated. And so therefore the onus shifts from the people who want to be donors to the people who don't want to be donors. Right. Because the stats show us that the vast majority of people agree with the idea, but just never get around to having they a conversation. They just don't get around to it. Like huh? many things in our lives, we don't get around to these right. important issues. So presumed consent theoretically captures all of those people. Um, it's a great concept. It's worked very well in Spain and some other countries where they've had it. So we will see. Um, truthfully, our bigger challenges in, in our part of the country are with the actual mechanics of harvesting the organs, which is mm-hmm. the term we use that I still hate because um, it sounds kind of crass. But it's it's about coordinating resources, right? So if you've got a donor, but they're in a rural area in a small regional hospital that doesn't have a surgeon, mm-hmm. which is the reality today, um, then sometimes it's, even if the family is willing, the coordination of all of the resources just, just doesn't so happen. Variables, so. yeah. And what about the people in, in the presumed organ donation? If basically you have to opt out, how much say do the family members have if they decide, no, we don't want them to be, you know, if they have any sort of the, that remains to be seen okay. yeah. <laughs> in that Canada anyway yeah. and that's that's the first thing I said when 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 I saw the the legislation come up is it's great from an from an advocacy and awareness mm-hmm. perspective it's still it's still good either way I have a feeling from a legal legislative perspective that it won't change anything right. simply because I cannot imagine being a surgeon with a family that says no and saying too bad they didn't sign the right form, I'm going to take the organs anyway. I don't yeah. see any yeah. PR person in a hospital letting that happen. Yeah. But, I mean, like, we'll, be, we, we'll, we'll see. We'll get to see, yeah. In fact, I actually hope it doesn't happen because I think the, the negative backlash of that may be worse than, yeah. than right. having it happen. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because you can just, I mean, you can picture... You can picture the five o'clock news with the family, mm-hmm. the grieving family saying they stole my loved one's organs and what that would do to our efforts. Yes. Yeah. It wouldn't we be pretty. Yeah. We need to work together, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For, for better, like you said, better resources, better education, those sorts of things. Yeah. And again, when we go back to kids, kids get it. I mean, I don't speak, do like motivational quote unquote presentations to kids under, well, kids. I, don't, I do them with teens and adults. I don't go under 13. But I've done organ donation awareness presentations to people from five to ninety-five, and the younger the kids are, the quicker they get it, because they've grown up in the world of recycling and green right. everything. Right. And it just that's, makes sense. And for them, it's a, mecha- it's a purely mechanical. Like oh, I've got this part that I don't need anymore, and I can use, and somebody else can use it, right? And so they just they and they don't have all of this like, you know, religious or otherwise attachments to things like some some adults do. Right. Um, people get really weirded out, especially about the heart for some reason. Like people seem to be okay with like kidneys and livers are just parts, but somehow the heart is not a 
pump, which is really all it is, because, again, I think we get into this... When we What's start spirit, heart. right? We yeah. use the, metaf- the metaphorical <laughs> heart, yes. and, and it gets really weird right. for people. Like you're taking someone's soul, their essence, their, their heart. Right. Their heart yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. And some people get weird about the eyes too, because you can see them. Right. And so oh, it's this. Yeah. And now we're doing. Now we're doing. They are doing uh, face transplants. Yeah. Right. And that's they've done the first one, have they? they done, yeah. Um, so which that is a whole thing it is you know that's it's, I mean so interesting but I can imagine for people's loved ones this is a new challenge a new it is but if you've done any digging you know that it's not at all like a mask that looks the yeah. same on one person because you've got because bone structure and everything else underneath. it doesn't, doesn't look like the same person at all yeah. uh, but it's still people are weirded out just psychologically by the mm-hmm. concept of it I think yeah. did you know who your donors were do you ever get no so the, pro- the, the process for a recipient is that you can write a letter to the family that has to be anonymous. So I was not right. allowed to say who, my name or where I was from. Or, that goes through the um, the organ allocation network in the particular province you're in. So in my case it was in Ontario, so Trillium Gift of Life is yeah. the organization that handled it. And so we sent it to them, they sent it to the family because they have the contact info, and then if the family chooses to respond, they can. Mm. And in my case they didn't. And I don't want to say that that's typical but I have a lot of transplant friends and I'd say it's if it's even 50% that respond that's probably high mm. it all depends I mean some people can't wait to know and other people don't you know there's just such a painful time in their it's life they don't want sure. to think right, about it right because you've got two families living in two opposite situations it is the, the giver and the, the receiver yeah, yeah the hardest yeah. maybe hardest period of of the whole journey for me was that rea- that reality was knowing that in order to survive, somebody else was not going to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that takes some, so there's the faith and there's the support people around you, the mental health work that you would have to do around that. Yeah, absolutely. It's an incredible thing, really, when we think that someone else, you know, the ultimate sacrifice mm-hmm. so that another can live. And, and just, you know, that's a, you know, I can't imagine, do, do you ever, I'll say, do you ever think about that, but how, how does that impact you knowing you have someone else's organs? Do you, think about that is it blessings for that person yeah I mean yeah. I do I do think about them it's it's 17 years out I can't say that it's something that's on my mind constantly mm-hmm. because you yeah. learn to frame it and put it kind of compartmentalize it a little bit because it's so intense that if you live with it in your foreground you can't function um, and and I also had to wrap my head around the idea that again, again this depends on your worldview but my worldview is such that that whatever happened probably an accident was going to happen whether there was somebody waiting for those organs or not, mm-hmm. right? Um, that tragedy had nothing to do with me waiting for it, and I don't believe that God killed that person so right. I could live. Yeah, I yeah. like, I or because they signed their organ donor card that that right. Like is I, just, a I was never wish. like sitting there praying for somebody to die. Like that's just not no. you know. Um, so I like to think that it's a small way that something good can come out of something that was mm-hmm. tragic and was tragic regardless of whether there was a recipient on the other end or not. I know you have a lot of life lessons that, you know, you shared in your TED Talk and so on, but is there an underlying philosophy that you abide by, like one main mantra that guides your life? Yeah, so I have this, it's going to be a tattoo when I have the guts. I just don't, haven't had the guts yet. Um, But it says live today. I have this bracelet that I wear. Um, And it's as much a reminder to me to live it every day as it is to teach anybody else. But, and what it means is simply to be present, to not, um, it's not about living every day like it's your last day. I hear people who have been through life and death things say that. It makes a nice motivational poster, but right. it's a lousy way to live. Um, 
because you can only you know you can only cram so many of those bucket list items into yes. one day right before you kind of run out of things but it's about trying to remember that every day is an opportunity and we can try and, and use it as effectively as possible um, and not it's not that we don't I mean my wife and I have retirement plans and we do investments and also it's not that we'd like live crazily but we also don't but you're still planning for tomorrow you live for today we're living one more day yeah, yeah and you yeah, put your plan yeah. for yeah, I'm not going to put off something for 10 years because we'll do it someday because I know that someday too often doesn't come for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a, a good, that is a good message because there are a lot of people who are saving the good towels for someday oh, or someone. They're good saving, china. They're saving the good dishes. <laughs> it's a someday syndrome. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I saw a lot of that when I was doing professional organizing work. People, mm-hmm. oh, I'd like be that. in their closets going, why do you have 50 sets of sheets? Well, they're like, well, they're the good ones when I have company. I'm like... Well, how about we pare it down to two sets for each bed and use them today? Yeah, it's, people talk, you know, that, that we're going to travel, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. It's funny, mom and dad are in their early 60s, and they travel constantly. Now they have to be home because they've got my dad's got an aging mom and, and aunt that he takes care of. But when they're not doing that, they travel rid- a ridiculous amount for people their age. And people kind of like, what's the deal? And, they, and I know it's because they know that, hey, we're healthy now. Yes. And the money's Go there. Mobile. And the money's yes. there. That's what my parents did. They did after, right after they retired. They spent ten years driving across the country and back, and visiting people. And we just spent the weekend with them. And mom and dad shared all of these fantastical adventures that I had forgotten because I was busy raising my children. Mm. And mom's like, "Yeah, remember those years when we were gone? And your father and I would drive, and, and they're little people like me. And so they had like a foam pad in the back of their van, and they would sleep in the back of their van in their little bed that they had." at campgrounds and they were so happy they loved it and they have great memories of that whole time and they said do it when you're young and you have lots of energy and you have money right that's true yeah Yeah. that's true so we may not have any like inheritance when they're all done but that's but that's but But your parents lived a great life but that's fine that's their money that's what they should do with it to spend absolutely yeah well do you plan on uh running any more marathons uh, maybe I never say never, but it's right now the obstacle is the time commitment. We have yeah. we have three kids yes. at home, and um, my my marathon training ended when our second child was born, and my wife is holding one baby, and there's a three year old on the ground, Hello. and I say I'm gonna go run for four hours. See you later, and it just something and didn't quite add up. And then when that third up. baby came along, oh, before that one, I just like something doesn't add up with this this yeah. plan. So um, yeah, you never say never, but it won't be for a while. Yeah, that's so good. Do you have um? I, I, other than I guess it's live today is that your message for people listening that really get that message yeah so that and I mean my, my my work in resilience now is really about helping people to understand that you have you either already possess or can acquire all of the capacities necessary to get through whatever you need to get through great message right like mm-hmm. so many of us I think feel like you know they hear my story and they're like well you can do that but I can which right. is baloney like I'm right. like my, I guess one of my big messages is I'm not special. I'm just right. ev- like everybody else who gets up every morning, puts one foot in front of the other and tries to figure it out and makes tons of mistakes along the way mm-hmm. and learns things and hopefully doesn't make the same mistake more than a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, whatever you're facing, because we're all facing stuff and change. And it doesn't have to be the biggest stuff no, that you have gone. Gosh, no. It's all, whatever it's the, the adversity the in front of you. It's the stuff of everyday you life know. sometimes Absolutely. that can just... 
weigh us down. But I like that you we can acquire the capacities. Yeah. Like you That's can beautiful. find the resources. You can go and you can change. You can call people. You can get help. Like there's so many options. The the, the to be resilient. That's it. Yeah, the philosophy that some people are born with it is a, is actually just a nice scapegoat to think that you don't have to figure it out. Right. Right. And take ownership. I'll, take ownership and figure it out. Go learn the lessons, read the books, listen to this podcast, yes. do whatever you need to do and get the tools. Um, you know, I think the biggest skill, this is one of the things I'm trying to teach students today, is, is adaptability and resourcefulness, right? right? Because change is not slowing down. And no. so... It's picking it's, up. It's great, right? <laughs> and so it's great to learn skills and whatever we're teaching kids in high school, fine. But really, the only thing that they're really taking away there that is useful is the ability to learn because the facts that they're learning are going to be irrelevant five years for their For what their future right? looks like. Yeah. So, yeah, so they need to get really good at skill acquisition. And then you get really good at adapting to change regularly. Yes. And not just for our youth, but for the oh, for all of us. Yeah, we all. Because as you get older, I think people tend to want to change less. You get Absolutely. set in your ways. So if you're listening, you're, you're past 15, <laughs> you're 25. You know, this as you get set in your ways, it's, it's definitely, yeah, because it, it's one of those things. If you don't learn to change, something will come along that will force you to change. Absolutely. I talk you to know? when I'm when I'm speaking to the adult audiences. I often say that I often give them the example of the of the smartphone, because there are people you know in their fifties and sixties who who were not only remember when they didn't exist, but also remember when they said, "I'm never going to have one." <laughs> right? These gadget people can have them, but I am never going. And all of those people have one. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Because at some point, even the stragglers are forced to convert because yes. there's no alternative. Well, because their no their friends are sending you know sending their quilt patterns across Facebook, and they're missing out on it. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so you're either going to lead the curve of of adapting and change, or you're going to be the tail end of it. But you're going to do you're it. You're going to be there. So mm-hmm. where would you like to be in the process? Yes. So can you tell our listeners how can they connect with you? Your podcast. So the podcast one. is called Level Up Your Life. You can mm-hmm. find it on iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher and all those places. Yeah. Um, but you can find me at markblack.ca. That's the easiest place. All the social media links are there as well if you want to connect with me there. But, speaking, uh, business coaching. Speaking, coaching. Um, you have a big event coming up? Big event in September, yeah. Yes. Level Up uh, Impact Conference is this happening. This is your second? Third. Third, oh my gosh. Second annual, but go. third, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be... Uh, we're expanding it, extending it from one day to two days, and it's um, you know a lot, I don't you would be the same as I am. You go to a bunch of these conferences and you kind of usually sit there and take a notebook full of notes and then hopefully do something with it. And I don't know about you, but more often than not, it goes back on the shelf. And, <laughs> well, because you go back to the regular schedule life. Exactly. So we've allotted an, an inordinate amount of white space in this event for people <gasps> Thank to... Thank you, Mark Black, because that has been my beef with every conference, right? But you need that white space. Yeah. Bravo. For people to really not, you know, I hate to network because I think that's, you know, people end up talking to the same three people that they already knew. <laughs> um, but to have like meaningful guided conversations about the content that they've just oh, so heard break, help and actually, break it down with each and actually use it. Yeah. Is it scheduled into the program, or is it sort of freewheeling? You can do what you want, or is it forcing people to stay in the room and do it? It's forcing people to sit yeah. with some with, people and have conversations right. about yeah. the material, and and to have the people who deliver the material there to kind of guide the conversation, right. but not be but be able to participate to some degree. And, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah and I'm really nice. excited. The people that have agreed to come are are I've heard all of them speak, and they're all amazing people. Um, so amazing speakers but also just amazing people and so it's going to be a really special so they're going to bring a lot of value to the event they're going to bring a ton of value and 
I mean, it's a business conference, but it's a business conference with heart. The whole idea is for us to make a, to leave that event and then see the ripple effect in the community. We're right. actually trying to figure out a way to measure that right now. Right. Because that's what it's really all about. Yeah. Taking it away and doing something Using with it. it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because yeah. exactly. I've been to many conferences and it's, you, and there's so much great information. Sure. But how do you take how it you home and break it, your life? Yeah. break it down, right? So that you can take, take little bits of it and actually use it and, and feel the impact. And I certainly think that we're feeling your impact and what you're doing in the world. You're certainly uh, an inspiration for anybody oh, well. um, to what you're doing and the positive messages that you put out to the world. So. Well, likewise. I mean, I enjoy the podcast. I think you're doing great work. It's anything. And what's beautiful about the age in which we live, right, is that we can live in these tiny places that most people in the world haven't heard of <laughs> and reach the world. And, and reach the world. As the little fish in the big ponds. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah we, can, we can share a message. Yeah, podcasting is amazing. It is, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it yep. is. Well, thank so, you. Message, live for today. Mm. Live today. Yeah, live today. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. I'm Dana Lloyd. And I'm Elaine Shannon. You've been listening to Soul Sister Conversations, the podcast. You can connect with Dana at DanaLloydLeadership.com and you can connect with Elaine at ElaineShannon.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And join us for more Soul Sister Conversations. Thanks for listening.